One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Monthly Motivation. This month's motivation is really an invitation to evolve the idea of this of the mind body and the mind body dualistic idea that still really infiltrates a lot of our thinking it certainly is present in our modern medical model and some of our concepts and constructs about mind and body being separate and so i really want to summon us to start to realize the power that is present when we have a more holistic approach and how it gives us so much of our own empowered um, thinking and practices regarding the health of our body and mind and how they are inextricably linked. And so just to give you a little backstory to the reason why I'm very passionate about this is that I have had numerous times over the years of teaching yoga that I've had newer practitioners coming in and taking a class with me, whether it's at a guest studio or at my home studio, and making the comment not meant at all to be an an insult, but more kind of thinking out loud, and that they really were surprised at how much they enjoyed the practice. It was very different than their practice. Their practice tended to be much more spiritual And that always rubbed me the wrong way, and I don't know why. It wasn't that I personally was offended that they felt like my practice or my teaching um, or this form of yoga 
movement was not spiritual, but more just this idea that it has to be one or the other, this, you know, binary thinking, like if you're focusing on the physical body, you are not being as spiritual or as mindful than you might be as if you're really going slow or sitting in a uh, contemplative way. And that is much more spiritual. And I knew that just wasn't the case. And I, I guess what um, rubbed me the wrong way is that I feel like this is what people have been taught or they've been conditioned to believe that you're either working one or the other, or at least one is dominating and the other one is less important. And what I've always thought is the mind is, you're not ever leaving it behind. It's, but the body is this wonderful vehicle that actually transport us into a deeper state of self-recognition and understanding and connection, quite frankly. And that isn't to say that you don't also get that if you are sitting still, but that it is an easier track in some way if you're going through the movement of the body or the awareness of the body. So that was one thing. And then the second thing that really inspired me to give this podcast is that I've had a, a lot of private clients in the past six months who have very troubling diagnosis or lack of diagnosis, just basically overall chronic pain. And some of them um, fall into the chronic um, regional pain syndrome, where it's very specifically in their extremities and travels around and causes numbness, tingling, sharp pain, um, and a tremendous amount of anxiety with that. Also problems with digestion, problems with sleeping. And the way that all of these particular clients have been approached in the medical field is that, you know, okay, you're feeling it in this area. Let's try giving you a pain block to your spine, or let's try giving you a shot of cortisone to here, or, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on, but it must be something, um, in your neck or the vascularity or, you know, on and on and on. And no one was looking at the entire body and the entire system and the history and the caring carriage of weight, metaphysical, emotional, that was present in all of these individuals that had finally kind of met a breaking point. And it was expressed in the breakdown of the body in the complex pain, in the unexplained pain. And so I started doing more of my own research because I really wanted to help them and they weren't getting it from the different physicians that were care providers they were seeing. And so I went into a deep dive of looking up things about chronic pain, about mind-body, and just coming with so much great literature and research and philosophical views. So one of the books that I read that I highly recommend, and some of this information is you know, um, derived right from there, is called Cure, C-U-R-E, like here's a cure, 
a cure, a journey into the science of mind over body. And this is by Joe Marchant. Um, it is a really brilliant book that, that goes into a lot of details about how the mind body dualism has not served us and why, and then really delves into, um, placebo effect, nocebo effect, and all kinds of, you know, really interesting stuff that I will touch on a little bit here. So though that's the background of this podcast is I really, um, had, had been carrying my own, um, dissatisfaction with the way that in the Western medicine, which I bridge as a physical therapist and the Eastern, um, system, how that we have often created this dichotomy between mind and body and really wanted to know where that came from. So in the research that I did, it really comes back to good old Rene Descartes. All right. So Rene, before, prior to the 17th century, when Rene, Rene Descartes came on the scene, there, the mind and body were um, intrinsically associated. This was, if you go back, so all really old practices of holistic um, wellness include the mind body. But when Descartes came on the scene, he proposed this idea that human beings consisted of two substances which were not existing in unity. And that was the mind and the body. And the mind was this immaterial, but thinking substance. And the body was an extended, you know, material, but unthinking substance. The body was subject to mechanical laws, but the mind was not. So he came in coming up with this idea, did solve some problems that were happening. Um, so one thing that was beneficial for this con- kind of conceptual leap that he made was that it helped um, with some of the prevalent orthodox religious views of the mind-body relationship that had really been a hamper for the medical science um, progression. In these views that were held by these more orthodox um, religious views, uh, the human beings were spiritual and the mind and soul were one. And diseases were therefore attributed to some force that was a personal or collective wrongdoing. So in other words, you, you kind of reaped what you sow because the mind and body were one. So if you had some kind of disease, it was your fault to a degree. It was also believed that for the soul to go to heaven, the human body had to be preserved intact. And because of that, there was a prohibition against any kind of dissection or study of human anatomy. And we know, and I know because I've been in PT school, that this is really important because we can't dissect and look at humans. We can't look at human anatomy when their person is alive. You can see some with some kinds of surgery, but there were major leaps made when you could start looking at um, a cadaver and looking at it through dissection and understanding. So to Descartes' credit, he really escalated progress in the medical field by um, uh, then now allowing the human body to be 
um, examined after death as opposed to be preserved. So it really paved the, the way for a ton of progress in the medical world and the understanding of anatomy and physiology. But the downfall is at the same time by, by um, isolating or separating the mind and body and this dualism that now is present, it really completely um, blocked and denied the significance of anyone's individual experience in health and the impact that the mind and body can have together in your own health. So all the holistic health practices, at least in, you know, by the majority of the people were not um, practiced. And so it really, it, it carved the way for our modern medical model. Of course, we are so grateful for so many of the wonderful things the modern medical model has brought to us. But some of this dualism continues, you know, um, hundreds of years later that you, that, you know, and if you go to a doctor, you know that you have a complaint and the complaint is in your lungs. Uh, you're not breathing very well. They're going to look at your lungs. They're not going to look at your posture. They're not going to look at your habits. They're not going to look at your heart. They're not going to look at your anxiety. I'm not saying everyone, but in general, because that modern medical model is set up that way, it's reimbursed that way, and it's not you're not going to be summoned to look at the whole being. And so that is that has led to a lot of problems. Um, again, it we the scientific method has has brought us huge changes in in our being able to practice medicine, understand medicine, develop um, disease cures, develop vaccines, and et cetera. But it is not lending itself to um, really looking at the whole person. And so it's there's no longer this over overarching, realm of looking at like, well, what is the person's state in their mind? What is their lifestyle like? All How is that manifesting in their physical body? All right. So some things that uh, Joe Marchant has said in, in the book um, that I, one of the books that I read, but the one that I'm really, I, I, I really spoke to me and there are many of them, but this is one. Um, she talks about that there is a lot of research that is overlooked about the placebo effect. And she, in fact, was one of those people as well. Now, let's first talk about like kind of modern medicine um, or Western medicine versus the non-traditional approaches. And so she really goes into, you know, the importance of not just going to anyone who might be uh, saying that something works because there, there's been a pushback on this dualism and there has been a lot more of the kind of non-scientifically backed, research-backed um, cure-alls. And so she really wants to have more of a balance between the conventional doctors who are missing that key ingredient, a lot of them are missing the key ingredient of looking at the whole person, 
but also not subjecting yourself to the many, um, many people out there that might be trying to make money off of you in their different mind-body therapies, you know, and that there are some quote unquote snake oil salesmen and there are others who are not. So it's really doing the research on your own, but also listening to your own gut about things and talking to people, you know, so for instance, I found my doctor who is a modern medical model, um, schooled doctor, but she found dissatisfaction in the way that she was able to work with her patients and then went off on her own and studied under another doctor who looked at, again, the whole person. And so when I went to her, I just found so just such a depth of knowledge that went way beyond like, what are your numbers? What does that might mean? Um, you're not going to fall into a box because you're this age and your blood pressure is this. It's, it's all related to how you're sleeping, how your hormones are doing, how your stress level is, how, you know, how much you're moving your body, how much you're drinking water, how much you're um, eating whole foods on and on and on. And so I talk about her all the time to people. And that's the type of person you want to find is someone who really has um, credibility, but is also thinking outside the box and practicing outside the box. Because we know that the there is such healing power of our mind. And that is sometimes there. there's just so many non-documented, um, meaning non-documented by science, uh, examples of this. And so it's to not look at that or as, as, um, Marchant says to, that by denying what seems blatantly obvious to many people that the mind does influence health, um, then you're contributing to this lack of trust in, or if not willful defiance of science. So, she says, if scientists say such remedies, meaning like the non-traditional remedies are worthless, it just proves how much scientists don't know. Now, she goes on to talk a lot about the placebo effect. And this is what I, I want to dive into because placebo effect is, I think, not well understood. People think that, you know, placebo effect basically is if you think something and um, is going to help you, it will help you. And that's the placebo effect, whether or not anything actually physiologically changed. And the placebo effect has been shown that every, um, every brain state, each physical configuration of neurons is associated with a particular thought or state of mind, and they can't be separated. And so placebos are tapping into are ancient evolved neural pathways. And that um, one of the one of the doctors in the book that she writes argues that receiving any kind of medical attention, whether it's fake, alternative, or conventional, helps to persuade the primitive brain circuits that we are loved, safe, and getting well. And that there's no further need to feel sick. So that's pretty powerful that you could be in front of someone, and that could be your doctor that you've trusted for years, but who is more conventional. It could be in front of someone who uses essential oils or uses, you know, some other kind of non, um, f- like fully researched back um, medicine or 
it's just using Reiki, which has not doesn't have the same kind of research backing as as more um, more healing approaches in the conventional pathways. But if what this is saying is that if you feel safe and that you're going to get well, that you could possibly just by tapping into these primitive brain circuits start your healing. Now he she talks about um, all these different researches, and so I'm just I just put noted a couple of them. So here's an example: seventy six students were going to a lab. And those who were warned to expect a nasty headache as a, as a side effect of the high altitude in this, in this lab, because it was located in, in the snow peaks, suffered more and worse headaches than those who had no idea that there, this was a risk. So think about how many times, maybe never, but if you've ever heard of or done been yourself to a place that has high altitude and how you have, you know, these warnings, like you you could possibly have a headache. You could possibly get dizzy. Your heart rates, you're going to feel like your heart's pumping on your chest, on and on and on. It isn't to say your body doesn't respond physiologically to oxygen differences. But when you anticipate some of those things, it's possible, this research is saying, that the experiences of those side effects are worse or maybe not at all. So say you just kind of show up in a high altitude place and you don't even know that there's a change in altitude. The placebo effect, in fact, might say that you are not going to feel different because you're not expecting it to feel different. Now, the reverse is true as well. And that's what they're really showing the placebo is that if you have, if you don't always feel the bad symptoms, is it possible that the placebo would actually help you feel the good feelings if you expect something to work. And that's really where um, the power of the placebo effect is, is in the feeling um, that you're going to get better because you're expecting it. And there is a lot of research on this. So one of the types of, uh, or one of the contributors to the placebo effect is when a mental cue is driving a physical response, which is called conditioning. And the best example of that is the Pavlovian response, where this Pavlov, this Russian physiologist, studied dogs and how they started salivating when he brought them food. Then he noticed they started to salivate as soon as he entered the room, whether he was carrying food or not. So the dogs had learned to associate his presence with being fed. So after a while, they responded to him just as they did to their food, like they were as excited to see him. And so that was this conditioning. And conditioning can also trigger placebo responses. So if we take a pill that contains an active drug, we have learned to Um, associate that pill with a particular physiological change. But what a lot of research has shown is if we receive a lookalike placebo, we can experience the same change physiologically. So it's, there is an automatic response in the body that happens regardless of whether the pill is real or not. And this is because it's triggering something in the brain that t- that makes that physiological change happen. 
So just a simple brain thing, a simple brain lesson. We have nerves that um, are divided in the central nervous system, which comprise, you know, the service, central nervous system is comprised of the brain and spinal cord. And then we have the peripheral nervous system, which runs throughout the body. So the peripheral nervous system is in turn divided into two branches. One is the somatic nervous system, which deals with conscious messages. It carries the instructions to the muscles so we can move around. And it also um, relays sensations such as warmth and pain back to the brain. The second of that peripheral nervous system is the autonomic nervous system, which controls those physiological systems. Um, So you often talk about the autonomic nervous system, sympathetic and um, parasympathetic, which are kind of your rest and digest is parasympathetic. That's your more kind of chill chill um, part of the nervous system. And then the other in the sympathetic is the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And these are, this is stimulating your body to get up and, you know, flee something. So that there are physiological markers or um, triggers for either one of those to happen. And so it is, it's that you are not just feeling different because you took a pill and it had a chemical reaction or biochemical reaction, but that there's also the the psychological factors that trigger a release of neurotransmitters that it can influence an immune response. And there is such power in that. You know, that isn't to say throw away your pills and just believe that they're going to happen, but it's really to further convey the absolute importance of realizing that the mind and body are interconnected and that we can, we can do a lot to help ourselves. Now, what's interesting also to me is that, you know, this could be a big deep dive. Um, but what's also interesting is that you can not only change the way that you, um, your brains, you know, your brain state, because the brain state again is each physical configuration of neurons is intrinsically associated with a particular thought or state of mind. They can't be separated. That's what we now know and what Descartes was trying to do. But that um, you you can also, based on whether you believe what I'm what I'm relaying or not, that it also can impact your healing. So there was there has been um, there's been studies. <laughs> And this is crazy to think about that, like if you, so those people that came in and, you know, would say to me, because I think they were conditioned to believe mind was separate from body, that they, um, you know, they are used to practicing a more spiritual type of yoga. They, in fact, were probably um, shortchanging the impact of any kind of physical practice where they had um, focused the mind in other words, an embodied practice. And that's really to show you that we can, not only the mind and body um, interlinked, but our thoughts about them also impact us. So there was a study 
published in the Psychological Science that showed um, if you believe the mind is separate from the body, you're less likely to exercise and avoid junk food. Moreover, the researchers, I'm reading from this study, were able to manipulate people's health behaviors by priming them with either a mind-body or dualist perspective. So if someone unconsciously is exposing you to an idea, it can change the way that you, um, you know, you're less, again, you could be less likely to exercise or avoid junk food. So because when you, so one might ask, well, why would that even be something you would want to think is separate? Because believing, um, in a mind-body split means your sense of self is less connected to the physical body. So the motivation to care for the body is less central. And it doesn't really matter if it makes sense or not. That's going to be your, that's how you're going to be conveyed. So these researchers um, at the University of Cologne in Germany studied this and it was, they, that's what they found is that people who did not subscribe to this mind body holistic approach didn't care for their bodies as much <laughs> so um and if if you were told the mind body um mind body are not distinct but integrated that in turn you're going to pay more attention to your physical body how you treat it so i think this is um really explains why, you know, we can understand why, um, loneliness increases your risk of heart disease, uh, why stress increases your risk of heart disease. We can apply mind-body practices like yoga, like other forms, and it can change our mood. It can change our focus. It can change our ability to, um, hold on to information. And this is all essential for us to live meaningful lives that are as free of suffering as possible. And I guess the main thing I want to convey over and over again is that we might not be able to heal everything. We might not be able to change everything, but let us evolve the idea of this mind-body enough to realize we actually have a lot of power over how we move, hold ourselves, respond to the environment and behave. And that goes as well into, you know, thought process. And that's, you know, we could go down a lot of different pathways here, whether or not you believe in positive thinking, whether you not believe in affirmations, there is research that, that has a lot of, um, information that really supports all of these things. You know, if, if the immune system acts as like an extension of our mind, then wouldn't you want to help the state of your mind? And if we know that the mind and body are intrinsically connected, well, don't you want to help the state of your body? So I guess the bottom line is to say, take care of your body. It is not something that should be an afterthought. It should be the first thing in your mind because it is connected to your mind. It is connected to your thoughts. It is connected to your health, right? We know this. We know this to be true. 
And if you are going to get advice from somebody, really notice how they talk about the link between your emotional and physical well-being, or if they seem like they deny it, or if they're not interested in it, because that might not be somebody you want to work with. These are the link between our emotional and physical well-being is about the close connection between the mind and body. And we know that when we are feeling our best in our body, we typically are healthier. And, you know, that doesn't mean if you're not feeling healthy right now that, you know, you don't have a chance at all, but go do the two-pronged approach. Figure out how to help your mind be as healthy, help your thoughts be as healthy, that you might need more than just the physical workout or the embodied movement practice. You might need to work in with um, any kind of um, mental wellness help. And on the other end, if you're not moving enough and you think you don't have time, and you're just going to, you know, when something hurts, uh, pop a pill. This isn't to condemn you because we've been conditioned to do that, my friends. We have been conditioned to do that. But what we should be conditioned to do is that we should be conditioned to pay attention to our bodies, move our bodies in a variety of ways, get outside in nature, laugh, um, convene with friends, and not be alone so much in front of a computer sitting down for hours on end and then wonder why we don't feel that great. And then if we go to a doctor, unfortunately, we might not be getting served in the whole mind-body experience. So let's let's raise the bar. Let's evolve this idea and really question those who are not, um, especially in positions of power or leadership, who are not doing that because we can all benefit. The mind-body connection is massive. And I'm just going to leave you with one last little research thing, just in case there is a lot of research on this. And then, you know, the whole idea with the mind-body dualism, like Descartes set up, is it did not really set up a robust way to research the mind and the psychology of health before recent times because you we just focused on the body. And so know that research is still catching up. It still is not enough there. That's why when we look at more ancient practices that don't have these kind of westernized research to, to support them, um, we, can, we can know again that there's a lot of anecdotal research that is important. Just to prove that there is research done, um, David Spiegel, about 30 years ago, um, found that women with breast cancer who participated in group mindfulness therapy had less pain, improved quality of life, and even lived longer than women who received traditional medical care alone. So this isn't to say don't get medical care if you have breast cancer, but it is to say there's more to look at than just plain traditional medical care. This is linking, these are all the scientific studies that are linking the 
the connection between mind and body, between our emotional and physical well-being, and that we they we can't separate them, and we have to stop separating them, even if it's been a condition, a condition, you know, that you can only practice mindfulness if you're sitting still in front of a candle, and you can only work your body if you're, you know, on a treadmill or in a fitness camp and, or a fitness you know, class with a lot of people in loud music, there can, there's a lot of mid, uh, middle positions there and crossovers. So let's stop being so binary and so black and white and really look at the body as this magnificent, um, vehicle that is connected to our brain, to our mind, to our thoughts, to our experiences, to our desires, our beliefs, our sensations, our consciousness, and let's do that by taking care of ourselves. So that's my invitation. Take care of yourself. Look at your whole self and notice where things might be not working for you as well. And know that you have the power to do something about it. And that you have the power to ask for help if you need help. And I'm always here for you. Pulling for you every step of the way. 